to the lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, but not thou only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake which dwell in us shall be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and, and in love. I rejoice greatly that I found some of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not that I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but an old one, which you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. And this is love, that, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from, from the beginning, and you should walk in it. For many deceivers that entered into the world that confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Fem, um, look unto yourselves that we do not uh, lose those things which you have worked for, that we received a full reward. Whosoever transgress and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath uh, not the Father and the Son. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. If any man comes come to you and brings not this doctrine, receive him, receive him not in your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I will not write with paper and ink, that I trust that our joy may be full. And um, I, I write with paper and ink, but I hope that our joy may be full, that I see you face to face. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. That is the book of Second John, and that's going to be our study for this morning as we can continue our study through the books of the one chapter epistles of the New Testament. This book is a uh, one that might be one of my favorites because when I was uh, young, uh, my mother made me memorize a whole book of the Bible, and why not pick the shortest one of them all to memorize? So uh, when I was five years old, they, many of the people at Highland would tell, or Riverbend now, but many of the people would say, before you could even read, you could quote the book of Second John. So I can almost still do it. I, I, I get confused there on the first, about verse 6 and about verse 10 as they kind of uh, intermingle, but uh, it's a book that I love. It's one that I have entitled our study this morning, Truth and Love. Truth and Love. Because many times people want to teach you the truth, but they don't want to do it in the most loving way. But here in this book, I think that we see these two things, truth, mentioned five times in this text, and love, also mentioned five times in this text, intermingled together. Because when we speak the truth, we got to make sure that we do it with love. Because Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15, when you speak the truth, make sure that you do it with love. Well, how do we do that? How do we speak the truth in love? How do we do it when we come in contact with those that don't, don't have the right way of viewing things, that don't come with the doctrine of Christ? And that's what this all, this book is whole about, all about. Let's look at four points this morning that we're going to look at from this text of 2 John. Number one, we're going to look at words from the wise man. Words from the wise man. That's going to be verses one through three. And then secondly, we're going to look at walk in the way. That's going to be verses 4 through 6. Walk in the way. And then we're going to look at verses 7 through 11, which is warning about wasteful words. Warning about wasteful words. And then we're going to conclude our study from verses number 12 and verse number 13 is wishing to reunite. Wishing to reunite. So let's begin with words from the wise man. Notice how this text starts out here in 2 John, verse number 1, the elder. That's where I get this first point from. The wise, the word from the wise man. Now this word elder is not referring to one that holds the office of an elder that we would see in the books of 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1 where we see the qualifications of an elder to do the to oversee the congregation, to be the bishop, as some translations use there in the book of 1, 1 Timothy. But that's not what this is talking about. But rather, it is talking about the aged one. 
Hugo McCord in his translation of the everlasting gospel. Brother Hugo McCord was a fantastic gospel preacher, a scholar. He taught at Freed Hardman. And when he translated this, he actually translated it instead of the elder, the aged one. Because John is the writer of this book. He is getting near the end of his age. He is um, getting very old. He was actually one of the only apostles to die of natural causes. And this book was written around 90 A.D. to somewhere between 90 A.D. and 95 A.D. So almost near the mark of the first century, this book was written. So when John is writing this, he is not writing it as one of an authority of an elder overseeing a congregation, but he is writing it one as the aged one. So when he says, I'm the aged one, he's saying, hey, I'm a wise man. I'm going to write to you about some wise things, some wise sayings that I need to tell you about. Therefore, when we look at the elder, we're looking at the wise man. We're looking at what kind of knowledge he is going to bring and what kind of information he is going to bring. Wisdom is taking the knowledge that you have and applying it. Taking the knowledge you have and applying it. And that's what John is saying here. Hey, I'm an elder. I have some wisdom and I'm going to um, write to you concerning some things that's going to help you in your Christian walk. So number one, we see the elder. But number two, notice who this letter is written to. The elect lady. Now there are two schools of thought concerning this elect lady. The first school of thought is this elect lady is a congregation. That John is writing this to the elect lady. The elect lady, of course, could refer to the bride of Christ as is referred to in Ephesians chapter 5, the bride of Christ being that pure bride. And it could be written to a congregation. And that's one school of thought. And that's, that's, that's fine if you think that. This is not a matter of division if you think one way or the other. I can see either way. But I think more uh, particularly... This is writing concerning a specific lady, an an elect lady, an actual lady that John had um, loved, that he had come in contact with through the preaching of the gospel. And he is writing this concerning this elect lady because if you you notice some things in this book, it's very specific. He He talks about greeting people and having people into your house. And I think that it's getting very specific where it's written to a very specific person. So I think that it is written to an individual instead of a congregation because there's some things that it deals with on an individual basis, talking about children. Um, of course, the children could be referring to as a congregation, the children of God, the members, uh, but I think it's talking about her specific children. Um, people have studied this issue for many years, and many people have come and walked away that the, the word translated elect lady the word that is translated elect could be translated to a specific lady's name named Syrah. If you uh, have the American Standard 1901 that I was talking about in Bible class, it actually has a footnote that refers you back to a passage in um, Ephesians or Philippians. I cannot remember which one off the top of my head now that actually has a footnote there that says translated Syrah, C-Y-R-I-A. And that's where many people think that this is actually written to a lady that was a member of the Lord's church, that her name was Sarah. But needless to say, it doesn't matter. We can make application to either one, either a a lady or the um, church as a whole. But number number three, as this point of the words of the wise, let's notice the everlasting, the everlasting. So we notice the elder, that is John, the elect lady, whether it be a congregation or an individual. But notice number three, the everlasting. Look at verse number 2, notice, actually verse 1. The elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not thy only, but also all they that have known the truth, because of the truth's sake, notice this, 
which abides in us will be with us forever. So when I talk about the everlasting, what am I talking about? I'm talking about God's Word. I'm talking about the Gospel. The Gospel will be with us forever. It is going to be everlasting. There's a a program on TV, on the GBN, called the Everlasting Gospel. And that's true because the Gospel is going to be everlasting. It's going to be here until Jesus Christ returns for His kingdom, His church here on earth. Let's go to a few passages. Let's not look at two, look at, let's look at this in two ways as far as the, the truth will last forever. Number one, physically, the truth will last forever. Go with me, hold your spot here in the book of 2 John, put a ribbon here, and go with me to the book of 1 Peter. Here Peter is writing to uh, the churches that are scattered abroad and um, scattered among uh, the people. And he writes here, starting in verse number 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1, and he says this, Since you have purified your, your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having not been born again of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Because the, the flesh of the grass is, and, and uh, he uses his illustration, is all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man and the flower of the grass. The glass with grass withers and its flowers fall away. But notice how he compares that. Look at the conclusion here, verse 25. But the word of the Lord endures. It lasts forever. Now this is the word which by which the gospel which was preached to you. So what do we see? The gospel is going to last forever. This word is going to stand. Go, go notice what Jesus said about the gospel. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Here Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the second coming of Christ. And we got to be careful when we study Matthew chapter 24 that we divide the Scriptures properly to see where the transition takes place and talking about the destruction of Jerusalem versus the second coming of Christ because many people want to lump them together but they are two separate things. But look at Matthew chapter 24 beginning in verse number 35. He says, Heaven and earth will pass away. Guess what? At one time or another... This earth is going to be dissolved. The Bible says that, that the heat is going to melt, melt the uh, elements with fervent heat. That the, the heavens and the earth will pass away. But notice what else he says, verse 35. But my words will by no means pass away. This book is an everlasting book. It's a book that's going to be around forever, for, for all times. Why is that? Why is this book going to be around forever? Number one, because it's here to save people until Jesus comes back. The words that I have spoken will judge you in the last days. What does that mean? It's going to be here for our judge book here on earth, but it's also going to be before God when He opens it up and judges us on the day of judgment. So it's going to last forever on this side of eternity and on the day of judgment. So when we look at the truth will last forever, we have to understand, number one, physically we're going to be able to to have the Bible here on earth. You look throughout time and time again, I, I think Luke taught his class here, on uh, how we got the Bible. And I'm sure in that in that study you saw how people tried to destroy God's Word, how people have tried to get, get away from it, how they have physically tried to burn it. But guess what? It's still here. We still have it today for us to study, and it's going to be here forever because Jesus promised it, and therefore it's going to be so. But number two, the truth will last forever spiritually. And what I mean by that is what John is talking about. He says, because of the truth's sake, which abides in us. Yes, it's a physical book that we have, 
but it also has to be internalized. It has to be a spiritual book within us. Well, how do I get it within me? By studying it, by living it, by, by learning about it. Go with me to Psalms chapter number 1 to see what the psalmist said concerning this part uh, about internalizing the Word of God, about, about this book being spiritually forever. Notice what he says here. Blessed is the man. Now, many times when we use that word blessed, we're talking about, oh, how blessed I am. But here I want you to think about, oh, how happy. Because this man that's happy is blessed. You can use them interchangeably. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But look at the comparison, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, in which he meditates, what, day and night. So what does he do? He takes this physical book and internalizes it and puts it within his heart. He puts it within his soul. Look at verse 3, the result of it. And he, he shall be a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruits of its seasons, whose leaf also shall not wither, and wherever he does, he shall prosper. Notice, when we have the word dwelling within us, what's going to happen? We're going to be firm like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water, that's going to bring forth fruit, that's not going to wither away. We're going to be able to stand the test of time. We're going to be able to stand the wiles of the devil. Because we're going to need the book within us to withstand the wiles of the devil. Why was that Jesus withstood the temptation of the devil? Because it is written, it is written, it is written. Think about what the psalmist said in Psalms 119 verse 11. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The only thing that can, that can cure your sin is simply the Bible. The Bible is your only medicine. It's your only prescription to fix What's wrong? Your sin problem. And that is the Bible. So when we talk about the Word shall abide in us, we have to understand we have to spiritually study it. We have to spiritually put it within us by studying it every day of our life. And then look at verse 3. Notice what he says here. He, he, he opens up, he, he kind of gives a, a Pauline, so to speak, introduction. You know, many times Paul in, the, in his introductory, he identifies who he is and he says, Grace and peace with you. And you, and you see that here. Uh, John uses that same kind of introduction. Notice what he says. He says, grace, mercy, and peace. Now let's talk about those individually very quickly. Grace is what many times we define in the church as that unmerited favor. It's getting something you don't deserve, right? God's grace is extended to me. Many times we, we, descri we describe grace as God's riches at Christ's Expense. It's being able to go to heaven one day, even though I don't deserve it. But what's mercy? Grace and mercy go hand in hand. Mercy is withholding the punishment that you do deserve. So grace is extending something you don't deserve. Grace is withholding the punishment you do deserve. I deserve to go to everlasting punishment because of my sins. But God is going to withhold that if I'm covered by His grace and extend to me heaven, withholding the punishment that you do deserve. Now, why is it that I can live a life that is peaceful? Notice the third thing that he's mentioned here is the peace. The reason I can have peace in this life, that the reason that I don't have to worry about my soul's salvation is why? Because I have grace and because I have mercy. Do you see the stepping stones that, that John uses here? He extends grace to them. He, he says, I'm going to withhold, I'm, because God is a merciful God, you can withhold his punishment. 
And because of those two things that go hand in hand, you can have peace in this life. He says, grace, mercy, and peace be with you all from God the Father. Notice the source of these blessings. Where does all these blessings come from? They don't come from living here on earth, but they come from God the Father. He is the source of all and the Son of the Father. And then notice this last thing, in truth and in love. He says, I'm writing to you with these two key ingredients. I'm writing to you concerning truth. The truth is the truth. And the truth will judge us when this world is on fire one day. And he's going to write to them in love. So notice, number one, the words from the wise man. But number two, let's notice how we need to walk in the way. Walk in. Notice I didn't say a way, but I said the way. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father except through me, John 14, verse number 6. So let's notice how we can walk in the way. How we can walk in the ways of Jesus. Look at verse number 4. He says, I rejoice greatly that I found some of thy children. Now, when I switched from the King James to the New King James, I noticed this in studying this. We talked about that in Bible class this morning. This is one of the things that I noticed because of the King James. It says, I rejoice greatly that I found thy children walking in truth. Now, in the New King James, it says, I have rejoiced greatly that I found some of thy children walking in truth. Now, what's the difference? The difference is we see that some children may have not been at the age of accountability yet to obey the gospel. Some of them may have fallen away. But why is John rejoicing that some of them have been found, they are still faithful, serving the living God? So when we look at walking the way, we need to understand the faithfulness of children. The faithfulness of children. I believe maybe uh, this elect lady had a great impact on teaching her children and teaching them the truth. Because she taught them the truth. Guess what happened? John is rejoicing greatly that he has found some of them walking in the truth. The only way that children are going to walk in the truth is if they have, they have taught and been learned the truth. And notice what he says, as we receive the commandment from the Father. You know, we can go back to Deuteronomy chapter number 4, 5, and 6 to see how in the Old Testament, what were their parents supposed to do? They were supposed to teach their children. What are we supposed to do in the New, New Testament? What is God commanded in the New Testament? Ephesians chapter 6. Honor thy father and mother is what the commandments and, and what are we supposed to do as parents? Teach them. Teach them. Therefore, they can be faithful childs of God. So we see when we walk the way, number one, that we see the faithfulness of children. But number two, and, and more importantly that John is emphasizing here, is that we have to follow the commandments. Follow the commandments. If we're going to walk in the way, guess what that means? We have to follow after the commandment. Now notice what John says here. And now I plead with you. He's saying, I am begging with you, lady, not as I wrote a new commandment unto you, but that which you have heard from the beginning, that you should that that you will love one another. So notice this. John is John is emphasizing here, he's saying, Hey, I'm not writing something new to you. I'm not writing something that, that that's revelation, that's new. I'm just giving you an old commandment. Now what is that? Go with me to first John chapter number two. First John chapter number two. Verses 7 and 8. Notice what, notice what he says here. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. He says, Brethren, I write to you no new commandment. Hold on, John. In 2 John, you said you didn't write a new commandment. Here in 1 John, he says, I'm not writing a new commandment unto you. But let's continue reading just so we can see this. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment that you ha- have heard from the beginning, that the old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which is true in him 
and in you because of the darkness is passing away and the truth of the light is, sh- is shining. So he says, again, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old one. But what is that old commandment? Go with me to John chapter 13. Let's go all the way to the gospel of John now. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Notice, notice this commandment that John is talking about, the one that we need to follow after so we can walk in the way. Jesus says here in John 13, verse 34, He says, A new commandment I give you. Finally, He says in, in, in 2 John, an old commandment. 1 John, an old commandment. Here we finally see this new commandment given. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And now look at verse 35. By this, by what? By this, by loving one another, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So what's this new commandment that Jesus is giving here? That you have love one for another. That you have love for your mankind. That you have love towards your brethren. So when we go back to the book of Second John here in verse number 5, he says, I'm pleading with you, lady, not I wrote a new commandment unto you, but that which you have heard from the beginning, that is Jesus, that we love one another. So John emphasizes in his writing and Jesus taught it during his life and earthly ministry that we have love one for another. You know, many times I've heard this preached from John 13 and verse number 35 that this is the badge of discipleship. The idea of discipleship is being a follower. A, the idea of a disciple is just being a follower of Christ. How do people going to know that we are Christians? Many times we sing that song, right? They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love, by our love. And that's what John is teaching here is that we need to walk after this commandment. That we need to walk after the commandments of Jesus by loving one another. By loving our brothers and sisters. By spending time with them. By not talking bad about them outside the church, but building each other up in this commandment. Verse 6, he says, This is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning and you should walk in it. So we have to, the first commandment that we see here that we need to walk in the way is the loving our brethren, but also loving our Lord. we got to love our brethren. But if we love our brethren, guess what we're going to do? We're going to love our Lord. But if we love our Lord, we're going to love our brethren. It goes hand in hand. Because Jesus said in John 14, verse number 15, if you love me, what does he say you'll do? You will keep my commandments. And that's what he's saying here. This is love that we should walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in. It. You love me, you will keep my commandments. Heard an illustration once about about a man who was preaching, and he was preaching on taking away and adding to God's word. And he was using it in a denominational sense. He had a piece of paper, and he was pretending it was the Bible. So, well, you know, Mark sixteen sixteen. You know, I. I don't believe that, so I'm going to tear it out of my Bible. You know, First uh, Peter three twenty one, baptism essential salvation. I'm going to tear that out of my Bible. Ephesians five nineteen, singing. I'm going to tear that out of my Bible. You held it up. There's all kinds of holes seeping through it. But what about the Lord's church? We draw those who walk disorderly. You know what? That's a hard thing to do. It's hard to practice church discipline. But do I love? If I love the Lord, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to follow after His commandments. If I love Jesus, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to not sin. I'm going to walk in His ways. Walk in the way, the truth, 
and be life. So when we when we look at verses 4 through 6, we understand that we need to walk in the way, and that is the way of His commandments that He has written for us in His holy word. Thirdly, let's look at the warnings about wasteful words. That's verses 7 through down through verse number 11. Warnings about wasteful words. Now I have four questions we're going to ask concerning this text because uh, this text is one that uh, is very important, I believe. I think this is the meat of the letter because notice how how John has written this. He's wishing blessings upon them. He's talking about walking in love. Now he's going to deal with the idea of false teachers. He's He's going to warn them about false teachers. And this is a hard thing to deal with, but you know how we overcome false teachers? By loving God's commandments. Going back to verse number 6, if we love His commandments, we're going to follow after them and, and not going to go in the ways of false teachers. Look at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone into the world who do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Basically, they're saying, hey, Jesus is not a real person. Uh, Jesus, you know, has never come. He's not real. How do you describe that person? They are an unbeliever. They are, they are somebody that has doubted in this coming of the Christ. During this time period, there was a very common belief called the Gnostics, the G-N-O-S-T, I think is how you spell it. Gnostics is not with an N, it's with a G. Spelled very weird. But anyways, during that time period, there was a group called Gnostics, Gnosticism, that believed this actual doctrine that Jesus had not come in the flesh. So John is writing saying, hey, you need to watch out for this group of believers that, that they're here, they're, they're, they've gone out into the world. Many deceivers have gone into the world who, who are saying Jesus has never come. He was a, he was a myth. He, he is not coming. He never will come. But notice what it says. This is a deceiver. Number one, they, are, they have come to deceive you. But number two, an antichrist. So our first question I want us to ask concerning this is, who, what is the antichrist? Not, notice I did not say who is an, or who is the Antichrist. Okay, let me, let me reword that. Who is an Antichrist? Not who is the Antichrist. Because many people believe that there's going to be somebody come during the days of tribulation that's going to be identified as the Antichrist. There's only going to be one of them. And because of that, there's going to be this one person that's going to be identified as the Antichrist. But what does the Bible say concerning the Antichrist? The Bible says that whoever comes to this world that confesses not that Jesus has come in the flesh, this is a deceiver and an Antichrist. An Antichrist, there's going to be more than one of them because the Bible says, the biblical definition, an Antichrist is somebody who believes that Jesus has not come in the flesh. Many people want to go to the book of Revelation to talk about the Antichrist. You know, let me tell you a fun fact. The book of Revelation does not even mention the word Antichrist. The only books that talk about the Antichrist is the book of 2 John and the book of 1 John. Go with me to 1 John chapter 2. Um, 1 John chapter 2 and look at verse number 18. There's, there's three, mention, or two, yeah, three mentions here in the book of 1 John. So it's only mentioned a total of four times in Scripture concerning the Antichrist. 1 John 2 verse 18 is the first time. Little children, it is the last hour and that you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, the many antichrists have come, by which now we know that the last, that it is the last hour. So you can see there, there's antichrists coming. There are some that have already come. Verse 22. 
who is a liar, but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ, that, hey, Jesus is coming to flesh. He is, he is here. But notice this. He is an antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Look at verse chapter 4, verse number 3. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And he is the spirit of the antichrist. So every time we've seen the antichrist mentioned is somebody that does not believe that Jesus has come in the literal flesh. That he was a myth. That he was just a mere person. Maybe even. But antichrist is here. There are many antichrists. Because there are many that do not believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. What does antichrist mean? Anti means against. And Christ is Jesus. So anybody that's against Christ. Somebody that is against Christ. And that's all that Antichrist means. So who is Antichrist? Anybody that does not believe that Jesus has come in the flesh. Look at verse number 8. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Second question we need to ask concerning verse 8 is, why should I analyze myself? The first question was about the Antichrist. second question is about analyzation. Analyzation. Why do I need to analyze myself? To make sure that my faith is where it needs to be. Now, notice, notice where the, I always find it interesting that this passage is kind of lumped where it is. You know, some writers flow very well. John just kind of throws this verse in here between two other verses. He, he says, he's talking about Antichrist in verse 7. Verse number 9, he's talking about transgression. It's to make sure we don't fit into one of those two categories. We need to analyze ourselves to make sure that we are walking in the ways that we are supposed to walk. That we're not going too far to the left. That we're not going too far to the right. That we are staying where we need to stay concerning our Christian life. You can look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 5. And there where Paul says, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. And that's what we need to do here concerning verse number 8. We need to analyze ourselves to make sure that we're walking the way that we need to be walking. And not walking the way of deceivers and antichrists and those who transgress God's Lord. Third question we need to ask is, how do I abide in Christ? So we look at antichrist, we look at analyzation. Now we're talking about abiding. How do I abide in Christ? Look at verse number 9. Whosoever transgress. The idea there of transgression is going beyond the mark. You know, if, if we're hunting and we're getting close to somebody's property line, we might see a, line, a sign that says what? No trespassing. The idea of trespassing is going beyond that mark in which you're allowed to go. And the same idea is here. No transgression. Don't go beyond the mark which God has allowed us to go. Whoever transgress and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, notice this, does not have God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. Well, what is the doctrine of Christ? The doctrine of Christ is simply just the teachings of Christ. Doctrine it can be translated teachings. So we need to make sure that we are following the teachings of God Almighty. We need to make sure that we are walking in His ways because if we are walking in His ways, that means we are abiding in Him and the truth is in us. Fourth question we can ask concerning about this warning is, whom should I accept? Whom should I accept? Look at verses 10 and 11. If, I come, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, what's that doctrine? The doctrine of Christ. And do not receive him, neither, neither greet him. For he who greets him shares his evil deeds. Whom should I accept? 
Um, I believe in the um, old King James Version. I, like I said, I, I use the new King James to preach out of. But verse 11 says, He who bids him Godspeed shares his evil deeds. The idea of Godspeed is maybe if you're going on a trip, if you're leaving, and somebody just says, well, I bid you Godspeed. What are they saying? May God be with you and that, that you do much good in the work of the Lord. But there's some people we can't bid Godspeed to. We can't bid Godspeed to those who are practicing against the commandments and not bringing in this doctrine. We can't bid those Godspeed to those who are walking disorderly. We can't bid them Godspeed to those who are practicing false worship. We can't associate with them. We cannot uh, be with them in agreement because they are not following the commandments of God. We're going to Romans chapter 16 to kind of see a very similar point in this. Romans 16 and verse 16, we all know, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. But look at verse 17. Notice this is a very similar point to 2 John uh, 10 and 11. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, we're starting talking about the same thing, which you learn and avoid them. It's the same thing. We need to note those who are, who are teaching false teaching. We need to, to avoid those who are teaching false and avoid them. Now, I, let me back it up by saying this. We, we need to keep our, make sure that it's not opinions. Okay? We need to bind where God has bound and not bind where God has not bound. We need to make sure that we have a thus says the Lord for everything that we do. And we need to make sure that we are doing it and having, bringing the, the commandments and doctrines of Christ. So who should we accept? Those who are teaching and practicing the truth of God's Word. We need to make sure that we are accepting and, and bidding them Godspeed to those who are um, abiding in the doctrine of Christ. And then the last two verses of this is verses 12 and 13. Having many things to write in you, I do not wish to write with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet thee. Amen. So here we see this wishful to reunite. Wishful to reunite with him. With this elect lady. Notice there in verse 12, there's many things to write unto you. I, did, I wish not to write with paper and ink. The idea of paper there is the papyrus that they would use. And ink would be the idea of using a pen. He says, I, I don't want to write to you, but I hope that I can see to you face to face. There's something about a face to face interaction, right? I mean, it's great to text. It's great to send emails. I mean, you get to communicate with people all over the world. But there's something about that face to face interaction. I, I've been texting a, a good friend in Peru for the last, let's see, I guess going on three years now, not being able to see him face to face. I'm hoping one day I can see him face to face again. I've been, I've been uh, texting a friend from Costa Rica for the last three years because we're not able to go down there to, because of COVID. But guess what? In February, Lord willing, I'm going to be able to see him face to face. I'm going to be able to have that joy that we can reunite together. Not just sending letters, not just sending emails, but being able to unite one another. And it kind of makes you just have a little taste of heaven. Of being able to reunite with one another, our loved ones that's going on, those that we're not be able to see all the time. And how sweet heaven is going to be. But the idea of this study is truth and love. We've got to have a balance of truth. We've got to have a balance of love. We can't have one over the other. That's why I think here in this, in this text, he balances them great together. How are we going to handle false teachers? 
We're going to bring the truth and love to them. How are we, how are we going to balance those that believe that Jesus is the Christ? Balance it with truth and love. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not obeyed the commandments because we've looked at this book of Second John and we've seen that this is love, that you walk after His commandments. Have you kept the commandments of Jesus? Have you walked after His commandments? Jesus said that you must believe that He is. If not, you will die in your sins. You must confess that Jesus is the Son of God. You must repent of your sins. You must be buried in the water of the grave of baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Have you done that? But maybe you're here this morning and you haven't kept the commandments. You haven't been faithful unto death. Like Jesus said, you need to be. Mark, Matthew 10 and verse number 22. You can come and confess your faults one to another and God is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins. We can help you anyway. Come now together. We stand and as we sing.